The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of Paul Thomas. The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. First off, I am 35 years old, I am divorced, and I live in a van down by the river. Monday, February the 8th, 2021, and good morning, good afternoon, or good evening to all you Vicks Vapor Rubbing Ravers on the planet, and welcome to the first episode of Eric's EDM World, a show featuring conversations with today's top and up-and-coming trance and progressive electronic music artists, along with some satire, sports, yeah, mainly American sports, because I really don't care what your soccer team in Europe is doing some general thoughts. My name is Eric with a K, and this show is presented by the HTM Podcast Network at HittingTheMarks.com. Right before we get started, let me begin by expressing a massive thank you to Michael Jargo for allowing my rants and raves to be broadcast on his HTM Podcast Network. I am deeply humbled and honored to be a part of such a growing platform. All right. Now that all the niceties are out of the way and all the humble shit, what's first? Hey, check it out. Lemon snow. What? Yeah, that stuff's delicious. Lemon snow? You mean it just falls from the sky like that? You bet. One of nature's treats. You gonna have some? Nah, I'm already full. But you should have some before the other kids get to it. What is it? Like Italian ice? Yeah, exactly. Like a sorbet. That's not lemon! No, it's not. You bastard! I was having fun playing in the snow, and now you've ruined it like a pizza place ruins a salad! Yep, that's exactly what's going to happen to millions of kids for tomorrow here in the greater Cincinnati area. Because, folks, the winter death is coming. The winter death is once again upon us. As I look outside my window right now, there's a little bit of snow on the ground. The temperatures are cold. But tonight, it's going to snow probably three to five inches. And I had no idea, no idea that this so-called snowstorm was on its way. But Mondays and Tuesdays are normally my days off from work. And I had to go to the grocery store. And I pull into the parking lot and I'm like, wow, this is pretty crowded for a Monday in the middle of the afternoon when everyone should be working, which is another topic. But... So I walk in and people are just going absolutely fucking crazy. Stocking their carts, you know, of course with the staples, bread, milk, eggs, cereal, whatnot. And I just stopped in just for a couple things. Mainly some milk because, well, I was out. And I enjoy milk with my cereal. I eat cereal quite a lot. And of course... My cat, Jerome, he enjoys some milk too. And all of a sudden, I, I, I hear everyone talking about this. I say, oh my God, it's going to snow. It's, it. it's going to snow. So I pull up the Weather Channel app on my phone, and sure enough, anywhere 
one forecast says two to four inches and the other says three to five inches. Let me be perfectly clear about something right now. Three to five inches is not a snowstorm. It's not. If you talk to Michael Jargo, who once again is the owner of the HTM Podcast Network, he will tell you that three to five inches is merely a dusting because he lives out in the middle of absolutely nowhere in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And three to five inches of snow is just, it's just absolutely nothing. So there will be millions of kids for tomorrow who will play tricks on their friends and who will make those very gullible kids want to eat that delicious lemon snow. And as in terms of our temperatures here, oh my gosh, he sent me a screenshot for this morning where it's minus four, that's Fahrenheit for you guys in Europe. And it feels like minus 19 Fahrenheit. Um, that's pretty damn cold. The lows here for this weekend are supposed to dip down to about minus five. And uh, really, really not looking forward to it at all. But I will be inside uh, writing as much as I can. I uh, have an article that I need to finish up on my first guest of Eric CDM World. It is none other than the head A&R for Future Sound of Egypt's UV division, Mr. Paul Thomas. And we had a wonderful chat last week and I'm just getting around to putting this podcast, putting all the parts and pieces together for you. And uh, I, we definitely look forward to hearing about the hour long conversation to that Paul and I had. But probably what I'll be doing for this weekend while we quote unquote dig out of this three to five inches of snow will be listening to some music. And I wanna to touch on a topic that's really been bothering me for the past week or so. And that is the Anjuna Beats label. As some of you may know, I have started doing a daily top 10 on my Facebook page where it's just random thoughts, and I mentioned something that really caught my eye. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Anjuna Beats has introduced a new monthly uh, newcomer EP series that highlights some of the new talent that this once exclusive label has now signed. Now, I'm all about signing new talent. I'm all about it. In fact, last year, and Juna Beats signed more new artists to their label than at any time in their history. But what is very concerning to me is how you showcase a person on your newcomer EP that A, is a lackluster DJ at best, which is fine. I have no problem with that to do the fact that some of the greatest electronic music producers out there totally suck at DJing, but vice versa. A lot of great DJs know absolutely nothing about producing. And once again, that is fine and dandy. I have no problem with that. What I do have a problem with is that a, a major, very influential label such as Anjuna Beats signing a person who does not produce their own music. A, it's a slap in the face to the label. 
and more importantly, B, it's a slap in the face to the probably thousands of people who have worked years to perfect their craft and who would probably give their left nut just to be signed to that label. I find it extremely disturbing and it's just not right. Furthermore, a friend of mine sent me a message yesterday showing me what was on Anjuna Beat's official Twitch page. And it was none other than a person dressed up as a furry. Yes, as a furry. Now, I'm all about freedom of expression. I truly am. I think it's one of the great things about the United States of America. But to allow this furry to DJ on your Anjuna Beats page, along with signing a person who simply looks good in front of photos, it's really worrisome. And I'm not a fan of it. And if there's anyone out there who matters to the label and who may be listening to this, I hope you understand that you're going in the wrong direction, man. You're going in the complete wrong, wrong direction here. It's just not right. And while we're on the topic of people being engineered or fl flat out ghost produced, I have no problem with people getting help. I think collaborating with each other, tossing ideas off of each other, sending this little stem to someone, hey, how does this sound? You know, hey, how does this sound? I think that's great. I think it's wonderful. But don't be included on a newcomer EP when you've done nothing, absolutely nothing. Furthermore, I think we all know that some of the biggest trance and progressive artists in the world are either engineered or flat out ghosted. I think we all know that, but we're really not 100% sure, are we? And why is that? Because no one has the balls to ask them. Not one person from Mixmag, not one person from DJ Mag, not one person from Transform, not one person from EDM.com, no one has asked these guys whether they're engineered and or ghosted because it's a taboo topic, isn't it? We don't talk about that, do we? Well, that's bullshit. Let's go back as early as two years ago with the exception of maybe one or two people who are just God's gift to electronic music that's producing. You can't tell me that these guys produce their own stuff when they're playing in one country one night and literally another country for the very next night. There's only 24 hours in a day, people, and there's no way that you are able to put together a string of music, much less an album, in that time frame. It's not feasible. Okay. I'm all pissed off now. What's next? Eight threes himself. Well, you want to make sure you can't give a guy a shot. You got to make sure your switch may stand out.
Jonathan Hildred Wall Jr. That was John Wall back in 2009 in what was the beginning of Coach John Calipari's coaching era. And what was also the beginning of year after year, us seeing a rotating door, a revolving door in college basketball of kids coming to college for one year before going on to the NBA. And some great memories. But what has happened to Kentucky basketball this season? Once again, a new crop of freshmen. But something's different about this team. Something's very different about this five win and 12 loss Kentucky team. What is it? Well, I think when you really look at it, you see a group of kids, and I do emphasize kids. You have to remember that these young men are 18, 19 years old. They're just not playing together. They're playing for themselves. They came to Kentucky for one reason. So their draft stock would soar through the roof. And after this season, they would be a high draft pick. Well, when you play individually and not as a team, bad things happen. And this could be said for any line of work. Bad things are going to happen. And this Kentucky team has completely imploded. I've been a Kentucky fan all my life. And this is by far the worst Kentucky team that has ever been assembled. The personalities don't match on this team. When you're showboating, when you're looking out for number one, when you're looking out for your own personal glory, when the only reason why you're wearing that Kentucky jersey is so you'll be recognized on a national stage far better than any other school save five. That's a problem. So I think what you're going to start to see towards the end of this season is a spearheaded conversation about the whole one and done system, about where when you come out of high school, you have to go to college for one year before you can go to the NBA. But the NBA is kind of already doing something about this. The NBA has something called the G League. And it's simply the minor league basketball league of the NBA. And a lot of high school players are opting out of college so they can be a part of the National Basketball Association's system. I think their thought process is once I get into the G League, I'm going to have NBA scouts looking at me every game and it'll be easier for me to move up. It's the same thing in baseball. You've got Major League Baseball and then you've got the farm systems. You've got the minor league teams. And it's the same way for soccer in Europe too. You've got the Premier League and then you've got the farm systems underneath. It's not lucrative. I think the average salary for a 
NBA G League player is about $35,000 per year. But once again, the mindset is I'm being looked at by NBA scouts every single time I step onto the court. And I might make it to the NBA. Let's say somebody gets hurt. Let's say someone's out as in terms of an illness. I might be moved up to the NBA and sign that contract. So it's going to be a very interesting conversation that I think is really going to be talked about towards the end of this college basketball season. Um, And it'll be interesting to see. So with that said, now is a good time to mention our sponsor, JustCBDStore.com. Head over to JustCBDStore.com and check out their wonderful products. That's in terms of vape pens, edibles, gummies. And I think you'll be really impressed. Order online and enter the code HTM and receive a discount. That's at JustCBDStore.com. And I'll be right back with Paul Thomas. Big break was landing a residency at the world-famous God's Kitchen in Birmingham so many moons ago, I won't say the year because it'll make us both feel old. He's embarked on many global DJing tours and was a significant player in bringing Mark Knight's house and tech house-oriented tour room records the attention it so richly deserved in the mid-2000s. He's released original songs on practically every major label imaginable, and his musical diversity is evident by having recording contracts with Bandit, Outburst, Little Mountain, Garuda, Black Hole, and so many more. His remix talents have been sought by everyone from Paul Oakenfold to Tiesto, from Basement Jacks to Chicane, and from Underworld to Dead Mouse. In the summer of 2017, this veteran artist teamed up with Ali and Fila to release UV as a celebration, marking the launch of a future Sound of Egypt sublabel of the same UV name. In March 2017, 21, UV will hit its 150th release, and I couldn't be more proud to welcome Paul Thomas to the show. Paul, how the hell are you? I'm good. I'm all right. I'm not too bad, thank you very much. Coping as well as anybody's coping at the minute. So, yeah, not too bad. So, this isn't the first time you and I have sat down for a chat, is it, Paul? It isn't, no, no. We sat down with John W. Fleming uh, a couple of years ago or so, I think it was. Um, yeah. So I 
It's always good to speak to you. So uh, I'm looking forward to our chat. Absolutely, and uh, me as well. I, I kind of want to reference that article uh, just a little bit. We covered a lot of ground, but but the one thing to that we didn't cover, how you and Ali and Fila sort of teamed up, how you were chosen to be the artist and repertoire for this new UV label. Uh, tell us a little bit about how that started. Well, I've known uh, I've known Fadi from Addy and Fida for for a long time now. Um, you know, through our God's Kitchen days when he used to come and play for us in Birmingham, which is my hometown here in the UK. Um, and I hadn't seen him for a couple of years or so. And then we. I had no idea he was looking to kind of branch out with FSOE and and create this new underground label. Um, and I just happened to bump into him at a festival that we were playing at in India backstage at a festival, uh, um, Supersonic Festival in Pune in India in early, early 2017. And um, we were just talking and he was telling me that he was playing some of my music and I'd, I'd just gone back to, to making progressive in the past like six months at that time, six months to a year from, from you know, trying to find a way into like the more of a transient, fast paced stuff that I was doing. I'd gone back to my roots and I was really surprised. And I, just, I vividly remember saying to him, there's no way that you're playing my stuff. Like it's, it's you know, <laughs> the, the, the track that he referenced was, I can't, well, I can't remember what track it was, but I remember it was 122 BPM. And I was like a 16 BPM away from what you do. Yeah. And it was like, no, man, like when I'm doing my open to close sets, this is the kind of stuff that I'm starting with. And then I'm building it up from there. And what I actually want to do is I want to start a label like for this kind of music. And a light bulb just went off in my head straight away. And I was just like, I could do that label. Mm-hmm. I, I could definitely do that for you guys because I was, I was at that time. I remember clearly that it was almost. Like I was having such a renaissance of of ideas and kind of music I wanted to make and put out, and was so excited, almost like I was when I first started putting music out, because. The whole the EDM bubble had burst. The commercial EDM bubble had burst. Everyone was trying, starting to kind of get hold of this new progressive sound. So I was like, you know, I was super excited. So I said to him, "Look, I'm sure I could kind of get involved in this. Let me send you some of my new stuff that I just made. I'd made just signed a couple of tracks to Armada for their electronic electronic elements label mm-hmm. at the time, Dark Heart and Red Skies." Yeah. And I got home, literally as soon as I got back to the hotel, I sent him these two tracks and he emailed me back straight away and said, this is exactly what I'm looking for. Wow. Can, can we, can we discuss further? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, man, I'm definitely, you know, I'm up for that. That's great. So he's, you know, he said, look, I, I prefer to have these discussions in person. So the next time I'm in the UK, let's sit down. So I said to him, look, you know, send me me your schedule and stuff and let's see when you're playing. He wasn't playing in the UK for ages. And I was like, I wanted to get going with this project. You know, I was looking, you know, God's Kitchen had 
had finished. Mm-hmm. So like my involvement with God's God's Kitchen was done. Um, I was making, obviously I was making my own stuff, but I truly believe that every kind of new or smaller artist need a big brand behind them. So I was like, I, like I, I've got this gap where I need something to help me. I, we're both on the same wavelength. I want this to happen straight away, basically. So he sent me a schedule and he was playing in Amsterdam. Yeah, Easter of 2017, and open to close. And I remember going to him. I remember flying. I said to him, look, I'm going to fly to Amsterdam to meet you. And he was, I remember him saying like, you know, that's really, you know, I, I, I like that. I like the fact that you're so keen that you're going to fly to Amsterdam for the meeting. So ambitious of you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, if you want these things, I think you have to go and get them, you know? Yeah. So I flew to Amsterdam on the Saturday morning. He played on the Friday night at Panama and he was playing on the Saturday night and I flew to Amsterdam and I went to his hotel. I remember calling him, texting him, getting the hotel to bring his room. No answer. No answer. <laughs> and I was like, man, I'm not even, I was, I didn't even have a hotel. I was literally flying in and back out again the same day. So I was just like, I've only got a couple of hours. What happens if you don't get hold of him? And then I called his manager, Stuart, Stuart Roberts, who's now one of my best mates. But at the time I didn't really know Stuart that well. And I remember calling him saying, look, you know, I've flown all the way to Amsterdam. I can't get older. What's going on? <laughs> and finally, Faddy comes down, voice gone, um, from where he, because he DJed for like, I think he's open to close, might have been the night before. No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't the night before. It was It was normal FSOE and he'd gone to bed really late. And he comes in and he's just like, I'm so sorry. Like, I really apologize. <laughs> he couldn't talk properly <laughs> because he's smoking at night. And, um, and anyway, so we, we sat down, me, him and Stu, and we were talking about this project and stuff. And, and Faddy said, Faddy, um, you know, we were, we were completely on the same page about everything, about the type of music, the ideas, the concepts, everything. And Faddy said to me, he 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 said some really important things that that really enticed me into to the whole project. It was number one, I'm gonna do a collaboration with you, which turned out to be UV, the track that you just heard. Uh I'm gonna sign you to the DJ agency and I'm gonna have you DJing at the pyramids uh, in Egypt. And I was just like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, wow. Yeah, that's amazing, you know. And lottery. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, I've been in this industry for a long, 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 long time. And usually when people say these kind of things to you, you take them with a pinch of salt, right? You like, you think, well, you know, like if one of those things happens, great. But usually when somebody, you know, you're used to people feeding these things to you in the music industry to kind of get you in and they don't always deliver. You know, you know what the music industry is like, not just the dance music, the whole of the music industry is like it. You know, people don't deliver. But Fadia delivered everything within four months. 
within four months of him saying, we're going to do this, 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 and this, sorry, within six months of us, do, you know, go, doing this, this, and this, he delivered everything. Yeah. And it honestly, it goes to show the mark of the person that he is, that he's always, even now, like, you know, four years down the line, he's still true to his word now. If he says he's going to do something, he always does it. You know, it, 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 it's, it's been, it, uh, f- from, from then, you know, I remember going home from Amsterdam and kind of coming up with the plans and kind of, he sent me the idea for UV and we wrote the record. Um, and everything has just, just snowballed nicely into, into what we've got now. And um, yeah, so that's, that was how we kind of, we kind of, you know, it was a chance meeting backstage at a show, um, you know, because he could have just gone on and asked somebody else or, you know, and I would never have dreamt about sending my music to him because, you know, why would I? I didn't, th- I didn't think that's what he was doing. So it's, it's, it's a remarkable kind of stroke of luck in a way is how it all came together, I guess. Talk a little bit about the, uh, some of the early months with you being at the A&R for that label, you know, how much guidance did Ali and Fila give? Um, uh, or you kind of thrown to the wolves or? Uh, yeah. What it was kind of, I mean, I, I've always, I'm a little, I've got to be honest, I'm a little bit of a control freak. I always have been with like, with music and projects and something that I kind of call my own. I've always been, you know, even the social media online that the, the we do, our UV socials, I can't let anybody else do those because I like things delivered in a certain way. You know, the way the way we talk and the way we deliver everything, it's, it's, to me, it needs to be in a, delivered in a certain way. So I've always been done 95% of the A&R of, of what we do. Um, I... There's been plenty of times where I haven't been sure about a record and I've sent it to Faddy and Faddy's been like, I don't think it's good enough or, you know, we should definitely take a punt on it or whatever. But um, but from the start, it's, it's, it's pretty much been me from the start, I would say. Um, uh, um, I'm trying to think of the process that, that we started with. I think we started with... Originally, it was going to be kind of. Originally, it was just going to be like a monthly re- a release schedule of once a month, and then quickly after I kind of after we announced UV, we just got inundated with music straight away, and it was just like you know, uh, like a, like any label I'd imagine you, you get music that does not suit the label. Um, yeah. yeah. But we were also getting a lot of really, really good music. And there was an also, also a lot of artists that I was really keen on getting on board, you know, that, that um, you know, a lot of artists from the UK that are, are delivering a certain sound, which I think really fits in with my music. And it quickly became apparent that we were going to have to up the release schedule quite a bit. Um and we, we, we pretty much went straight to once a week, which sounds like an awful lot of music, like, and it is, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a full-time job, UV. It's, it, it takes a lot, lot of running to, to get the music out, but I, 
I think that the releases kind of perpetuate each other now, but that's where it's become. It's become like, you know, somebody will listen to a track one week and not just buy that track, they'll listen to the other tracks that have also come out recently and, you know, buy those as well. So it's kind of, it all kind of snowballs really. Yeah. In the four years since this has started, and I'm sure this is how it is with practically every record label out there where you're sent really all types of music, but in in keeping with that UV model, you know, how has the music either changed or how has it progressed from this time back in 2017? Well, I, I kind of judge it on, I mean, I guess the style has kind of stayed, it's kind of fluctuated a little bit actually, because I remember when I kind of first started UV, I had a very trancey progressive house sound is probably the best way of describing it. Like the melodies are very trance, even if the beats are quite housey. Um, and then I've fluctuated from like, you know, to, to being into the deeper progressive stuff to being into more of a melodic techno vibe. And now I'm coming back round to, to the more trancey side of progressive again, not, not progressive trance, because the beats are very, very different for me. The grooves are very different. Yeah. You know, the the beats that I'm putting out and making are still very house orientated, but the melodies are definitely going more towards the trance scene. So I guess we've kind of we've weaved in and out of kind of styles. You know, I I, I kind of uh, as we've gone Why along, I've artists. Sorry. Why is that? My just my own person fluctuated just from years. I I I've always been an artist that kind of that's just naturally moved. Just you know, we've got this. Uh, it, there's like a channel of like house and trance and techno, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I've always weaved in between those in terms of just my own personal style and 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 and, and mood basically like you know for a few months i'll be really into like kind of transient melodies and then i'll i'll move into um you know then i'll move into more of a kind of i don't know a rolling techno feel i don't I, it's, it's just my natural just my natural mood i think of yeah. kind of liking different stuff um but i've just finished mixing this 150 compilation to celebrate 150 release of, of UV and I I mixed it you know we did 100 last year this time last year mm-hmm. we got we're doing 150 now and I look back at the music that we've put out in the past the past year and it's it's really strong but I look at the music that we've got coming again man and it's it's the best music we've ever put out and I think that has been the biggest change is I think over time, the music has got better. The standard has got better. Uh, and the type of artists that we're getting now is, you know, we've got Jerome May involved with with some yeah. stuff. We've got Stereo Express, you know, Oliver Giacomoto's done some stuff for us. And we're, we're kind of, we're kind of growing each time, you know, as time goes on, we're growing and we're enticing bigger artists but also the artists that we've 
we, we brought on board when they were like Franca, for instance, and Dylan, just they're growing with us at the same time, which is, which is really, really good as well. So when you really think about it, your personal tastes fluctuating, that in itself dictates what's acceptable inside of the marketplace, is it not? Yes, it is. Yeah, it is. Because I will, you know, I'll often, uh, I'm quite varied with the music that we sign, I believe. I think I do think I'm quite varied. But my only stipulation with UV is I've got to be able to play it. That that is what I that's my and obviously it's gonna be good, but it's gonna I've gotta fit it into my sets, and that is my only kind of um my only thing, you know. There's I, I don't believe you know, I like to UV is a representation of me. And I don't think I think if I'm signing music that I wouldn't play myself, it doesn't represent what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's kind of it has to fit in within those boundaries of of what I'm gonna play, really. So UV is your baby, but it's also still a representation of the future sound of Egypt brand. Exactly. Yeah. So, exactly. so you have to maintain a certain level of responsibility to cater to the business model. It's kind of like you're playing God, but not so yeah. much, right? I, I think the I think the the one thing that's really evident about all the light labels and the label A and R's that that Alan Feeder have entrusted into into bringing on board in, in FSOE is they're all very very good at what they do. You, they're kind of left to their own device sign music that they want to sign, um, which is kind of like you know putting a lot of trust into the, in, into them because. Like you say, it's, it's you know you, the music that you're putting out is a reflection of not just UV and not just me, but it's a reflection of FSOE and Ali and Fido as well. So you have to you have to trust somebody to be able to to do that and you know and deliver it properly. Mm-hmm. But I do believe that every single A and R do do that. You know, I think I think they're all they're all very good at what they do. They're all very proud of their brand. And they would, you know, they sign music that is um, a, a true reflection of themselves as well as the brand. You know, I had I spoke to Dan Stone last night, last night for two hours, mm-hmm. talking about music planning for this year ahead, and you know, and there's a real strong commitment for all the A and Rs to be able to deliver, you know, deliver properly with with the music that they're putting out. What were some of the things? So that you and Dan did talk about, I mean, not to get a, it's completely off subject here, but uh, like in terms of Dan, uh, he's someone who I admire as well. Yeah, he's a great guy. He's a wonderful guy. He's one of my best friends in the music industry, actually. Uh, we were, It was mainly just talking about fables, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. because, you know, not only do I A&R for UV, but I also, I'm, I oversee all the labels that FSOE, and I let, I'm, kind of the, the head of all the labels making sure that everything gets delivered properly and all the music is looked after properly. Um, so um, so we, we, we were mainly talking about Fables and their releases for, for this year and what they've got going on and different ideas and different concepts and just, you know, it's with 
it's a lot of work running a record label. You know, it, yeah. it is, it's kind of, you know, not only do you have to kind of sign music and do the A&R, you also have to release music at the right time and, and build the relationships with the different kind of platforms, mm-hmm. um, deliver the music in the right way to the different artists. And, and, you know, it's, 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 it's a bit of a military job sometimes trying to deliver everything properly. So we were just discussing, uh, discussing his plans for 2021. It's really interesting that basically ever since this time last year, when, uh, that the current world situation took a nosedive. Um, the popularity of uh, the, the progressive house and the progressive trance has really started to flourish now. And and since music really isn't made for the dance floor, do you see artists starting to gravitate toward the progressive route? And in your opinion, is that a good thing or a bad thing? And are they doing it right? Um, I do think I do think more kind of gravitating. I think it's um, I think it's a perfect time to to be trying new things. To like I, I also did it in the past twelve months of trialing certain sounds and certain releases and. And it doesn't matter if they don't quite work, which a good few of the releases didn't last year of my own. And it's and it's been good to kind of get myself into the right headspace, which I'm currently in now, to figure out where I want to be and, and where what I want to deliver for 2021. And I think a lot of artists are doing that now. I just had a promo through from Standwick, which is on Armada, which is a really, really cool underground prog record, you know? Um and I do think, you know, I, we, we, one of our biggest supporters at the moment is Dash Berlin. He's supporting all the all UV stuff. Um, so I think, I think maybe the landscape might be might change a little bit when things start again, and people might be playing stuff that they might not have done before. And I do think it is a brilliant thing. If I'm totally honest with you, um, Chesto announced that he was launching his Fur West. Um, project i thought it was incredible yeah. especially in the prog scene because for my for my type of prog the stuff that i released that is very i feel leans very much into the trance world there isn't really anybody championing like like a real kind of headliner like above and beyond play a lot of my music but it's still they're still not quite what i do you know and but there was and there isn't really anybody like kind of stadium filler that, that that was doing it. So when Tiesto suddenly launched this project, I was like, okay, this is somebody that could really kind of could really push our industry, our, our scene, could really really do it. And you know, I know a load of people were saying that oh, you know, he's jumping on bandwagon. And I don't I don't see it like that at all. I see it like I see that project as an opportunity or anybody that does it, Dash Berlin, any, but any of those guys that are kind of starting to, to push the more deeper or progressive sound or whatever you want to call it. I see it's an opportunity for all of us, you know, that there's more people to open the doors that we need to open, you know, more people to bring it to the masses. 
that's ultimately what's kind of, you know, going to... I don't want Progressive to be this little niche thing that only a few people are into because what's the point? You know, don't get me wrong, it's great that, that I, I love playing to rooms of 200 people. In fact, I love it more than anything. I'd rather play to small rooms. But why wouldn't anyone want to get their music in front of as many people as possible? You know, that's, that's it's, I think it's a great thing that, that, um, that people are trying something new and, and, and taking hold of it. There's a few people that I've been sent demos from that you do know that are making, trying to make this music to fit with the, fit with the times and not because they like it. Mm-hmm. Um, because you can just tell by the production that it's kind of, you know, thrown together, um, you know, almost like a proper trance record pitched down, you know, um, I'm not going to name names, but I get demos quite a lot from that, from from established artists. But, you know, there's people that are doing it and you can tell that they're really into it. You know, uh, Yesto could just, he could just sit and do nothing now. He's got all the money in the world. Um, He's got, you know, he's still got his career as Yesto. But he wants to do something new, you know, and I think that just, it's, it's, it just shows that the the passion and the love is still there, you know. I think this, I think it should be admired, and it's the same for David Guetta, with you know a completely different type of music to what we're doing. But you know he's got his Jack Back project, which which is you know which is back to kind of real cool underground house, and he doesn't need to do that either. You know he's got all the money in the world; he could just sail off into the sunset. But he's you know he's got that passion to to be doing you know something new and exciting and different and and involving the scene and you've probably been asked this question a hundred times but why why is tiesto the punching bag and yeah I agree. and, and I agree. he seems to be the steve aoki of our scene yeah yeah i agree i think people that you know i think like tiesto was the person really who really took trance music into the stratosphere. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, I think people obviously were just a little bit kind of felt almost cheated on. But when I look at some of these people online and they're still like, you know, I've never forgiven Tiesto, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. They're just saying like psycho ex-girlfriends or ex-boyfriends that just can't, <laughs> just can't cope with being dunced you know it's just i find it i do find it a little bit bizarre that people can't just let these things go mm-hmm. um you know tiesto didn't have any kind of yes he, he, i think he was largely responsible for for build making trance into what he was as well as several other artists yeah um but he didn't owe trance music anything you know he doesn't i mean maybe i can say this because I don't I, like I, I I come from a trans background. Like I used to, that is what got me into electronic music in the first place. But then I in the late nineties, I quickly got into what well, Sasha and Digweed and, and Dave Seaman and Nick Warren and all these guys were doing. So I left trans behind. So by the time Tiesto came, I did like Tiesto at the time. But by the time he came around, I was fully into progressive. Like I wasn't. Yeah. I I mean. I guess Tiesto was more of a progressive DJ back then anyway. But I didn't really have any kind of 
emotional attachment to what he was doing you know so maybe i find it easier to just to to to, to, to let it go yeah. yeah you know um um but I, I you know i think i think sometimes i think people take music i mean it's i don't know whether this is like the right mindset or the right thing to say but i think sometimes people take music too seriously you know i think i think music is there for people to enjoy and have fun to and if somebody decides to do something different and have, you know, deliver a different type of music for people to have fun to, what is the problem? You know, just because they don't like it doesn't mean that it's, they shouldn't be doing it really. There are so many artists out there um, that help each other with songs. Um, yeah. You know, five seconds, five seconds that's before sunrise, you know, that was co-written by Camel Fat. And it, it, are you starting or have you seen the majority of, of artists to that you sign? Are they helping each other with songs or are um, guys? I, or, I think are I a lot th of these guys should be ghosted or? Yeah, I, I don't think I would sign somebody that was fully ghosted, if I'm completely honest, because. Um, usually when somebody's got a ghostwritten record, it usually sounds like a carbon copy of something else. And I, and I don't, I just, I think if, you know, I like to think that UV is quite an original and forward thinking label and, and not copying anything that anybody else is doing. I think we've got our own thing going on, you know? Um, I mean, I got I got sent a record recently, which was basically Allegro. Somebody had written a record, and it was basically my Allegro record. Just <laughs> had, the, had the LFO that slowed down and back up again in the breakdown, and it was very, you know, it was really, it was a it was a, a carbon copy of of my own track. Yeah, and and I just look at it and I just think, you know, why? Why are you doing it? And I think that's the same with people who are ghostwriting. They don't have, you don't, you don't really have any any say in the record whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I think with engineering, it's very different. I think yeah. there's people yes, having incredible ideas that can't manipulate them or can't or can do certain things. They can arrange a record, but they can't write the parts, or they can write the parts, but they don't know how to arrange, or they don't know how to to work different frequencies in uh to to pull the best out of the records whatever you know that that is fine for me you know and and we get that quite a lot quite a lot of the records are kind of um or engineered um but with ghostwriting not on you not as far as i know not on uv i wouldn't uh, it's not something that i would i would um that I would like to push or support but again I'm I'm I have not got a problem with people that do it either at the same time because it happens in every single step of the music industry so why not dance music you know just because it doesn't suit me I'm, and it's not something that I would want to put out because I don't really think it would it would be um 
a forward-thinking thing to do for the label. Yeah. But again, I don't have a problem with it. You know, I've got no idea what what Verwes involvement was in that record. Um, but it's a good track. I like yeah, it. I play yeah. it. You know? So it's song, so, you know. And- yeah, it is. It's a good, you know. It, it, put it this way, if somebody had sent that to me for UV, I would have signed that for sure. Yeah. You know, so, so that's, you know, but I'm a big fan of camel fat. I like camel fat. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it doesn't surprise me. Yeah. So, but, you know, we're, it's um, it's a bit of a funny area, I think, with, um, with ghostwriting. I think a lot of people get very angry about it. And I'd get it, you know, I do get it because... People have put their life and soul into into learning how to make music, but again, it's I'm just I just think there's more important things to worry about in the world. To be honest, yeah, yeah. It, I think a lot of it too is have the most success with with doing the least amount of work, you know. And, yeah, and uh, yeah. and especially now with us all pretty much being on some sort of lockdown for the past twelve months not being able to see, you know, our family, friends, hug each other, you know, hang out at a club, whatever, you know, we as a people need affirmation now more than ever. And we'll go to pretty much any lengths in order to get that. So in order to get those social media likes, in order to get the Instagram, you know, likes, you're going to pay money to have that success. Yeah. And I see both sides of it, but at the same time, doesn't the record label have a responsibility to uphold the integrity of the artists that they've already signed who have done that work on their own? Yeah. Yes, is the sure answer. I think so. I think... Um I, I, I do think... I think it is a difficult one. I think... um I'm trying to think what, what was the point you said before that I was thinking about something in my head that I was going to reply to and I can't remember what it was um, i trying to think what did you say just before that before that point I'm trying to think which point uh, I, was, I, had a, I had a kind of thought in my head about kind of about music and originality, but yes, back to your point. Yes, I, I do think a label does have a responsibility for, for um, you know, for for supporting the artists that that are creating. Like for instance, we've got I've got there's four in particular that I've got on UV. We've got Dylan, I've got Fuenka, Sean and Dean, and Yedden. Four key artists that that I've we really tried to push in the past. 12 months to two years. Um, and I do think it would be a kick in the teeth for them if all of a sudden somebody just came in with a track that was not theirs, essentially, and 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 I was given that support and airtime. I do think that. I think... I think it's a... I do think ghostwriting is a very slippery road as well to um and it's got so many flaws in it if you were the artist that was being ghostwritten not just ghostwriting but buying your fake likes or your fake followers or all that kind of rubbish as well because 
you can get wrapped up into a world that is completely and utterly fake and not there. You yeah. know, like for instance, you know, if you if you're buying so many likes on or, or followers on these on these different platforms, how do you know what is real or what feedback is correct when you're posting the things that you post in? How do you know that that is the the good the right thing to be posting or how do you know that people are re- being receptive to the music that you're posting about? I and think with- that if I think that if you've gone to that point in using Click Farms and you're buying likes and things of that sort, if you've gotten to that point, I don't think you care. Yeah, you don't think you care, and it's the same with ghostwriting as well, because you know if you're ghostwriting. Um, you have your music has zero identity, none whatsoever. You know, if you're just picking off a track off a shelf, or if you're some saying to somebody, "I like this track, make me something like it," with no kind of no control or no artistic development over the record whatsoever, you have you don't have an identity. You have somebody else's identity, mm-hmm. and then when you kind of if that person doesn't want to work with you anymore or um, or just stops ghostwriting or whatever or decides that they don't want to sell their songs anymore, mm-hmm. you've then got to go find somebody else that has a different identity, a different way of make, writing music. And then, you're, and then you're starting again with this whole different kind of sound and a different identity and then it could happen again and again and you're there's nothing to your kind of your brand or nothing to your music to 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 relate you to you as an artist do you know what i mean there's no like it's just soulless it's just kind of soulless and 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 i can see straight through it as well uh, as as i could i could you know uh, when when somebody sends me a track, I also like to check them out, check out their other music, or you know, somebody that I haven't heard, check out their other music, or check out their social media and all that kind of stuff. And you can kind of gauge then what kind of person they are, where the music comes from. I think. Yeah. Um, As someone who's listened to literally hundreds of thousands of songs, how can you tell straight away if random person A sends you a track? How do you know that it's ghosted? I guess you don't. I guess, um, I, I suppose in a way, if it is ghosted, sometimes I've had tracks through where they've done something in exactly the same style as one of the other tracks on the label, like what I had with Allegro. Mm-hmm. And they'll they'll make they'll ask somebody to make something to fit a certain sound. You can hear it with Anjuna all the time. Like I hear tracks that might not have been ghostwrited, actually, but they're made to fit a certain label. You yeah. know, like and you hear it with you know the with some of these records. I guess you don't know for sure. I think I guess you don't know for sure. Um, yeah. um and it is it is. Difficult, but I think if somebody, um, you know, it's not something I turn around and ask ever, because I just don't think it is the thing that you, that sh- that could be done. I don't think you can turn around and say, you know, 
it, is it, somebody else completely made this record, you know? And um, obviously when somebody signs a record, you get like, you get sent the, the credits of the track, you know? So, so, so I know who's engineered and who isn't, which doesn't bother me in the slightest. I think it's great that people use engineers actually, because it's a great way of learning. Yeah. Um, um, but with, but with ghostwriting, obviously if it's ghostwritten, you don't put anybody on the credits. So you don't know for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I, I can, you know, but sometimes you'll get something and if it's progressive, I, I got my finger on the pulse and I know who I can, you know, I've got my weekly radio show. I'm listening to everything that comes out. And if somebody sends me, if something's ghostwritten, it's going to sound like something else. Definitely. You know, because that's the way it works. Somebody says, I want something to sound like this, or the ghostwriter will just sit down all day and they'll copy and write records that, that sound like other records, but other popular records. So when it comes through, you know that if it sounds just like something else, there's a good chance that it's going to be ghostwritten. And if it's not ghostwritten, you don't want to sign it anyway because it just sounds like something else. There's kind of a fun question to ask right before we get into the 150th celebration release. And I think I already know the answer to this, but um, has anyone ever offered you money to sign their record? <laughs> well, <laughs> no. Well, not for my label, but I did have... Funny you should say it because I had the demo because I, I obviously I, I run everything to do with UV, but I also work and run all the other labels as well. I oversee everything to do with the labels at FSOE. Yeah. Um, and... Part of that is I get all the demos in. I list like, you know, and I sit with Faddy and we, and Faddy goes through them and listens to them, works out what we want and we'll sign and what we don't. And I listened, we had this demo through the other day and this guy and he was just like, blah, 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 writing a spiel about the track. And then at the end it was like, I will personally pay you $100 if this record gets signed to FSRE. <laughs> and I just thought it was, I thought it was a, I thought it was funny, but I also thought it was like the mark of the label that they want to get on FS3 so much, so badly that they will pay money to do it. Yeah. I think shows how high standing the label is in in the in the trans world, you know. Yeah, and 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 with that label being most definitely a sort of like a bucket list. Yeah, for practically every artist out there, yeah. um, how much of an influence does someone's social media following, their popularity level at that point, their marketability, solely based upon their name? How much does that actually weigh in whether or not that song is signed? And if that song were sent in by some dude A, it wouldn't have gotten signed. Well, um, with 
for, strictly from speaking for the FSW main label, Alien Feeler, A&R, everything. They have the decision on, uh, like Faddy will say to me, even if the record isn't anything like what we want to sign, I want to hear it. He wants to listen to every single track. And you don't get that nowadays with many, with many, like, of artists of value and feeler size, I believe. I know Armin also does it. He's uh, uh, also the same at uh, uh, Armada as well. And I think that's a really good thing, you know, that, that people that are still that passionate about what the music they, they want to play. And Ali and Fida are very, very, very music-driven in, rather than stats or, or size or... Um, you know, that looking at that kind of thing. Um, so they would sign it virtually all, on, all based on how good the record is. Mm-hmm. And my job is to run the labels. So my job is to make sure that these records are going to do well. So I would, I often have like kind of, I also say to Fadi, look, we want to make sure that some of these artists have kind of, you know, uh, have also got a a pop popularity or doing well on streaming platforms or have a presence on social media or whatever. But Ali and Fiat are all like, if it fits, we sign it. If it works, we sign it. If it doesn't, we don't. And that is it. And that I think is the most single important thing in having an identity to your your brand. Mm-hmm. And it's also, I do also have the same thing with UV as well. Like I said, if it's got, I've got to play it and I've got to like it to, to, to sign it. Um, um, what we've done recently is because there was, uh, we've started a new series to be called Future Sound EP, mm-hmm. which we're launching soon, which is basically for new artists on FSOE. Um, because I think sometimes they can get lost in between the big names sometimes. So I think, so we launched this new EP, which, um, which we're hoping, you know, you might want to get behind and push on your platforms and other people, you know, other people in the media and blogs might want to get involved in as well sure. to give them more of a focus, you know, um, um, uh, I, th- I think it's that have, finding a, a nice, healthy balance. I mean, I've sent Faddy records before and Ali and Feeder records before for the demos that have been sent. And you know what people are like, especially new names, they don't label things properly. So it will just say, like, I'll download the track, I'll put it in a folder. And Faddy will listen to it in a folder and it, it might just say Master One with no artist name or something. Yeah. But he'll listen to it and if he likes it, he won't care. That whether it's he, he would listen to it and it'll say master one he'll like i like that i want to sign that no idea who it is it's yeah. it's about the music you know it's about how how uh, you know you've got obviously with a big brand you've got to have successful names as well than like successful you know we we have to do well on on streaming platforms yeah you know we have to have artists that are doing good figures on the streaming platforms we have to have artists that are that are gonna gonna bring people into what we're doing but also i do believe that all big labels have a responsibility to bring through new artists as well 
Mm-hmm. I think that is really important. Yeah. Because how, how else do these people get a platform? Right. You know. Yeah. It's, it's you know, but like I said to you with 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 effort, with UV, we've got Dylan, Yedden, Sean, and D, and Franca, mm-hmm. and. I would say that two couple of years ago, nobody had heard of those names, I would say, you know, and we've, you know, we created a new radio show, weekly radio show for those guys. We're getting them good remixes. We're getting them, you know, we're, we're, their streams are growing more and more and more and we're pushing them and I'm mentioning them as much as I can and do, I've done collaborations with three out of four of them and I'm going to do a collaboration with Yedden to push their names more and more and, you've just got a responsibility to grow these artists and make them, you know, give them an opportunity because also not only is it good for them, it's also good for your brand. If yeah. you've got, you know, if you're building them up and they suddenly blow up and become huge, they're with you then. You look at Anjuna Beats, you know, they've done exactly the same with, with Ilan Bluestone and Jason Ross and all these guys, you know, now they've got a whole wall of artists that, Mars, the, you know, uh, the, uh, yeah, it's, it's great. It's like an army that they've got there now. And if you can sort of be responsible for the growth and the development of that artist through your label, well, it's a win-win, right? Yeah, it is. It is. It's a win-win for everyone. Yeah. Because no, because you're giving something back. You're giving, you know, you're giving uh, an artist an opportunity. And it just feeds through into what you're doing, you know, and if you get it right, you get the right kind of artist and you kind of recognize that the, you know, that the, you've got to polish the gem a little bit and, and, you know, it's, it can, it's, it's just like gold dust, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. great for everybody. Yeah. So speaking of win-win, let's jump into the uh, 150th release of your brand. And um, why don't you tell us a little bit about them? Yeah, so we've, I feel like we quickly got to 150 releases since we only started in, you know, July 2017. Um, What I like to mark the milestone with each time we get to one of these kind of milestones is having some of my favorite tracks on the label remixed. So we, last year we had a really big track from Sean and D and Melody Stranger called mm-hmm. Apollo, which 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 done really well. It got a lot of support. It did really well on Beatport. Uh, it was one of our biggest selling records of last year. In fact, one of our biggest selling records we've ever put out. Um, so that's been remixed by Fuenca, who are a UK-based duo who are doing some amazing music, um, some amazing, really, really good stuff. Um so they've remixed the first one, which is out at the end of February. And the next one is a track that we released at the beginning of last year by Stan Kolev called Ahimsa, which has been remixed by um, Stereo Express. It's uh, a bold yes. face. Yeah. Um, oh, his music is important. that one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's an awesome remix. Um, you know, and it's it's... Um, so I'm trying to, you know, I've done one for the newer talent that we're bringing through, you know, Sean and D and, and, and Franco are two of my key artists that I'm really trying to push. So we've done one for the, for the kind of more up and coming artists. 
And then we've done one which for the established ones of Stan and Stereo Express to kind of, you know, to kind of, I guess, for profile and um, uh, and kind of, you know, wider reach and support, I guess. Yeah. But they're both brilliant, brilliant remixes. They're awesome. So this is going to be a two-part of its release, right? Yeah. So we've got the first one is at uh, the end of uh, the end of February, last Friday in February, which is Apollo, and then the second one of him. So he's out the following week, the beginning of March, and then we drop the um, one fifty compilation in the middle of March. Yeah. So the first one will be out on uh, February twenty sixth, and yep. uh, and the second one that following Friday. Uh, on March the 5th. Uh, is it? Yeah. With the compilation probably coming a couple weeks later. Yeah. Right. On the, the 15th, I think the compilation is. Yeah. The Monday, the Monday. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Well, it all, it all sounds uh, extremely exciting. And, uh, and Paul, uh, is there anything that I left out? No, I don't think so. It is, it is an exciting time. I think with the label, it's, um, you know, we've got I've got so much music signed up till up till July. You know, I'm getting to the point now where when when we start DJing again, when I'm starting touring again, I've decided that it's gonna be pretty much the whole of my set is gonna be pretty much either UV or my own music. So yeah. that's that's where we're trying to evolve everything to now to to really trying to evolve UV into being, uh, you know, having total uh, domination over my sets, yeah. you know, whether kind of, you know, my own version of some of our releases or my own bootlegs or whether it is my own releases on the label or and just, just kind of keeping hold of some of these amazing records that we've got and hopefully release them a little bit later down the line when we can hear them in clubs again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right before I let you go, um, I did want to ask you one last question. And uh, this is more on the DJing side of, of things. And I've asked probably two or three artists uh, to that I've written about this same question and uh, kind of wanted to get your thoughts on it. But when when we start to have shows again, yeah, uh, we're starting to see little small pockets of shows, but um, when the world really starts to open back up again, do you see these um, major artists who belong to artist agency groups? Do you see those groups and those agencies push their higher tier artists harder? than of what they were already being pushed pre-lockdown. So they will try to recoup money not earned. Now it's not money lost, but it's money not earned. And there's a huge difference in that. And my concern is that you're gonna have Paul Van Dyke, you're gonna have uh, to Giuseppe, you're gonna have, you know, Hernan. You're going to have all of these guys playing everywhere, every weekend, on every bill. Where does that leave that the little guy who is already trying to build himself up that ladder seems to me they yeah. knocked down about 10 floors? Well, I think 
I think there's a few different factors to take into consideration of how things are going to go. Firstly, we've got to do all our rescheduled shows for starters. You yeah. know, we've got like, you know, we when when the pandemic hit, we had UV shows in Dubai, Indonesia, Colombia, Argentina, all over the world. We had them. We were going to have our busiest year yet. And most of those deals. So you have to still, take care of those ticket holders first. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So we, you know, we, we've got to reschedule all those dates. Not some of them we're not going to reschedule because some of the promoters aren't going to now or some of the venues are no longer there. But most of them, we need to find dates to do those again. So that's something to bear in mind straight away that, if you're a new artist that's come through, that's been building their name in the past 12 months, the sort of that's now hoping to tour when the pandemic starts, you've got a good six months of when the clubs reopen again, you've got a good at least six months of not being able to get shows because promoters have got to honor shows they've already committed to. Mm-hmm. So that's something to bear in mind. Yeah. Um, uh, having said that, you may get some promoters who don't want to take a punt on a big artist straight away because they might not have the money or they're scared that the show is going to get cancelled again or whatever. So that might bring opportunities for smaller artists to, to, to take shows. They you know, they don't want to take a punt on a 20k DJ, so they, they might put somebody who's two grand, you know. So that's that's something to kind of bear in mind as well. I think. I think it's, I do think it's quite difficult to guess what the landscape's going to be. Yeah. Because firstly, we've done it. Do you know, we've done it. Glastonbury's just got cancelled. That's five months away. You know, we, 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 you know, this could go on. What happens if it, if it goes on for the whole of 2021? Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's the kind of, you know, I remember when this first started. I'd done my show. I'd done a number. Uh, this time last year, I was doing just a tour with Ali and Fido in America, in North America. Mm-hmm. And I was just coming to the end of it this time last year. And there was this thing that was starting to kick off in China that that we that people were starting to get worried about. And then obviously things unfolded over the next month or two. And I remember in March when a couple of shows got cancelled, Miami got cancelled. And I remember thinking, man, I hope my shows will be okay in April. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. a month down the line, and then, and then obviously April got. Right canceled. when Ultra got cancelled, that's when everyone followed suit. Yeah, exactly. And then the May got cancelled, and then the summer got cancelled. Tomorrowland and Ibiza got cancelled, and then we we'd got shows that we'd rescheduled for autumn, and then they got cancelled. And it was just had this, and then it got to the point where. Literally, Stuart, who does my bookings, mm-hmm. he didn't talk to anybody for months and months and months, for, like promoters, because it was pointless. Whereas now he's just starting to pick the conversations up again. Now, you know, they get starting to get things ready for, for, you know, when you know at the moment, I don't know what it's like there with U.S. residents, but we can't travel anywhere. There's a travel ban on pretty much every country for people from the UK. Yeah. So it's no point in even thinking about shows at the moment, but 
conversations are there for a little bit further down the line, Ibiza or, um, you know, some of the summer festivals. But who knows? Who knows what's going to happen and when? It's just, you know, you can kind of be optimistic and say, you know, our Prime Minister says everything can on it's going to be a lot better after Easter. But the show, you know, clubs were the first thing to close, man. It's going to, going to be the last thing to open. Yeah. So I who knows what it'll be like. We'll see. I fear that as well. Well, well, Paul, I just want to thank you again for taking the time to do this with me. And, yeah, uh, my pleasure. It's good to speak to you. It's good to speak with you as well. And take care. That's going to do it for the first episode of Eric's EDM World. I want to thank my guest, Paul Thomas, once again for joining me. I had such a blast talking with him. He's so cool. Look out for more podcasts on the way. Got some guests lined up that I think you all really enjoy. I struggled a little bit with this one. This is my first time doing things like this. And I'm learning a lot as I go along, so... Until next time, do your part in helping to control the human population and wrap that shit up. And I'll see you real soon. See ya!